Under the Helmet. You do your thing, all right? Don't be nervous, okay? The show that looks at long-term player value in fantasy football. It's the moment right here. We're going to have to decide what, what type of team we want to be. Building dynasties each and every week. I don't even know your name. What's your name? Chad Parsons. Tell you, man, you leading the league in hydration. I got a dynasty team reaping rewards for the next decade. Katie Flower. You may beat me, but you will not outwork me. Tim Torch. There's only one winner, Chad. Find their written and premium audio content at uthdynasty.com. Playing it safe in Dynasty means you're going to lose. Stop talking about it, man. Let's get this going right now. Welcome back to Under the Helmet. Looking at some long-term player value in fantasy football, the official show of uthdynasty.com. Got Katie Flower here. I am Chad Parsons. And we're wrapping up quickly the off-season. We're going to get a game this week. We're going to get a full slate next week. And basically, see at the new year. Uh, See at the end when you're hoisting trophies for your your dynasty teams. And we've got a couple macro topics we're probably going to cover over the next couple of weeks. This week, I wanted to cover looking at what makes dynasty owners different. What separates us? What are the key issues? issues that if you come from redraft world, if you're new to dynasty or, or if you're new to fantasy and just jumping into dynasty, what are some of the things that you say, if you're not like your peers, if part of your league uh, views player value differently than you, what are some of the ways, you know, what are some of the aspects of the player that would be most affected? So this is going to be a conversation about how that might adjust your strategy. And I don't know about you, Katie, but I always like to talk to people when I, a lot of the uh, academy shows I do, or when you talk about trading or evaluating players or roster spots, I always like to go into the process of, if this is you, here would be me my advice. And then if that doesn't apply to you, here's also how I would adjust my strategy. I've said it before, if you don't like making rookie picks, if you don't like really using the waiver wire a lot, then that's going to affect the advice that we would give you. So it's always good to have that sort of owner profile when you're talking to someone, uh, knowing if they're like-minded, if they would run a team like you or a little bit different. Um, So what is, just as a first talking point here, what's something that would divide dynasty owners and sort of their general approach to player value? I think this is the biggest one and I'm going to lead with it, but patient owner versus impatient owner. And that can have a lot of effect on your dynasty league. I just jotted down a few notes. Uh, A patient owner is somebody that utilizes their picks in trades, as well as just waiting till the right moment to get the most value from them, which would be in, in rookie draft season when rookie hype is, is huge. Uh, whereas an impatient owner, the picks are burning a hole in their pocket. They're wanting to trade them one, two, three years out help just to get a shiny yeah. guy that is going to help their roster right now. Uh, they don't want to wait two to three years to compete. They look at their roster and they don't see the running back studs. And so they immediately feel like they've got to tinker and make a big deal and blow up their team. And then uh, well, let's stop on that one for a second. So, yeah, and, and I think that when you were talking, the first thing I thought of was, you know, there's there's people in Devi leagues. There's some that won't draft Devi, and honestly, I think they like being in a Devi league because the rest of the, the the league is a little distracted in their eyes with college players. They're going to use those picks to help them now with NFL type players. They may not be comfortable with players until they actually get to the NFL and do something. So that patience factor of if you're open to draft. A freshman, you know, and we, we always talk on the Debbie shows that they're assets. You don't necessarily have to wait for them to get all the way into your starting lineup in the NFL in a best case scenario to help your team. They're an asset at any point, just like a rookie pick, just like an incoming uh, rookie, just like any NFL player. Um, but I thought of Debbie originally, but the other part, like you said, that if you draft a rookie, it's not like Devi, but still, typically, you have to wait for that player to go from your bench or your taxi to actually being helpful for your lineup in any consideration. A lot of times, there's especially a quarterback, you know, thinking year one impact, it just doesn't happen a whole lot where they're plug and play. So, so yeah, that that sort of encompasses a whole lot of the patience factor. I love that you started there because it's also the teams that, like you said, they tinker when. And again, five, 10 years ago, when I was first starting, 
that was one of my things is I, my worst trades would always be it's week 10. Oh, I need really need some impact at running back. But what I, what I wasn't doing was being patient by having a bunch of them. I didn't have a whole lot. I had a bunch of wide receivers. So therefore, when things went wrong at running back, I felt like I had to buy them. You know, the LaShawn McCoys, you know, thinking back, you know, many years ago um, where you just, you, you're trying to buy production for, the, for this four, six, eight week or two year cycle. Yeah. So the impatient owner, not only do they give up on rookies faster, but the patient owners will buy bridge players and realize that they're going to give their rookies patience. They're not going to have to employ them, start them, rely on them, and therefore they can just let them simmer and let them... It's a teamwork game. Work. Yeah. You get, the, exactly. you get the bridge guys to help out the rookies, help out the young players. Exactly. So the bridge players will help your dynasty team win now while you're waiting for your rookies who will eventually hopefully take over. And then also would you the, say would you say the impatient owners the pivot to that would be they're just constantly buying bridge players and hopefully no. they get the right comp well what i'm saying is they're not going to have the support system the ecosystem of the young players that could turn into 2 3 year or beyond players for them core guys because they're not that patient where it's like uh the guy got hurt a little bit oh let me flip him for you know a 30 year old wide receiver that might help a little bit or a running back that's starting right now well, I think they're more prone to burning future picks plus selling those rookies for an established player. I, I consider a bridge player on the older side somebody that you can get for cheap, cheap. These guys tend to go for right, you know, somebody that's in the peak of their prime, you're going to pay maximum price, and they may or may not have an impact on your lineup. Anything can happen. Uh, and and yet they burn through their capital. And then when that injury happens to that guy that they got, now they've got nothing left to continue to throw at fixing the roster. And either they end up struggling for a couple of years or they leave the league and then leave a bad team. And what was the commissioner that has to do? We know how that story goes. Exactly. And and if you get a really uh, a good watchful eye, a a trained eye, you can almost see that sometimes in the startup draft. And for sure, you can see it maybe in the early moves, even in year one that the team is making. Yeah, exactly. And the impatient owner also tends to be impatient when they're trying to rebuild. They realize they've got to break it down. They realize they've got to uh, sell off all their older assets to try to get younger but then they're impatient and they don't let that build. And they're like, oh, it's going to be two or three or four years before I can compete. They cannot visualize success within the next year or two by making smaller moves. Now that you've stripped it down and you've got a bunch of young guys, you got to let them grow. You got to let them get to. And then when they start, it may take a year for that to happen when they start to get some name cachet and some uh on their own where they can start, then you've got to be able to be tweaking that with smaller trades like bridge players and not major moves to redo the complete lineup over and over and over again. Yeah. And I think also this bleeds over into probably not taking a shot on many backup running backs because if they sit there and I think, you know, someone like James Conner might be a good example of, you know, if you're patient for that whole first year, Le'Veon Bell is healthy. Everything's good. Year two is when everything broke down. Year two is when you hit the jackpot. And I think it would be easy. You know, another good example would be, you know, you've rolled snake eyes on Alexander Madison two years in a row, but who's to say this isn't the year. And, and you take those shots on those players because, you know, there's fat tails, there's big outcome potential. And I would think, you know, when I see some of these rosters where they have, you know, four running backs total, you know, and they have like 15 wide receivers and they might have one or two starting running backs, but they really don't have that. Well, best case scenario, how many starting running backs could you have? The answer might be like three. 
total. That's the starters they have plus any backups that up oh, perfect storm. And, and I just, that's another part of, you know, because the wide receivers are going to be involved. They might be getting 50% snap share, 70% snap share. They might be the number three wide receiver on their team. They're on the field a lot. They're going to have a few relevant games. They're going to be posting, uh, you know, in the box score more than a lot of these backup running backs. So that's going to be something with the patience factor and, and kind of connecting to everything you've said already about this divide. Yeah. And impatient owners are more prone to hype trading. They trade when a guy is getting hyped, which drives their price up. And if they don't live up to the hype, which that's what hype is, it's usually you're not going to get the return on that value. And then at the same time, they're always trading at the wrong time of season. Like a month or two ago, trading to get that running back to make your lineup in May or June when you don't even have to start anybody until September. Let your lineup go. Let's see what happens in camp. You may buy somebody in May that you regret because they could stumble and get an MCL or whatever during the training camp preseason. They're so long to go yet they're impatient and they want their roster to look like a starting lineup right then. And they pay the maximum price. Yeah. And it's amazing how many times, whether it's our own teams or ones we see where people are asking us questions that it might be even August, but, but like you said, just get the season rolling, get the, get the machinations of the year and injuries and depth charts. And frankly, trying to predict what teams are going to be great and not great. I mean, there's so much churn in the playoff versus non-playoff line in the NFL, but right. I mean, you might be sitting and thinking, Oh, you know, uh, you know, I got Hunter Henry as my starting tight end. I don't like that. I should go after one of the big guys. Well, what if John New Smith is hurt? What if this really drives through two tight ends? What if both guys are, you know, top 12, top 15 plays and you feel great about it? So there's so many variables across a lot of these teams that, like you said, what can you really count on at this stage combined with health and, and depth chart, the pecking order for these passing games, level of quarterback play? We've got a ton of questions across the NFL. I'd say probably half the teams you're I mean, you could see it go a variety of directions uh, on, you know, it could be great, uh, it could be bad, uh, probably going to be somewhere in between. And uh, yeah, like you said, the number of times that people think they have a problem and if you just wait a little bit, and if that means you start out one and two, but you didn't make some rash trade that you ended up not needing to do at all, then you get to late September and you're like, well, things look a lot different now. I'm glad I didn't overreact and make some big trade a month and a half ago. I remember one of the guys in our league, and these are the ones you got to pounce on. If you are a patient owner, you need to pounce on them the moment they make a mention in the group chat or the moment that they put on their trade bait that they're looking for a starting running back. Damian Williams, when he was a starter for Kansas City, was the guy gave up his first like it was nothing. And then he ended up struggling and it ended up being the 101 and Damian Williams is now like not even in a picture. He's a good backup to have, yeah. but was he worth that one Oh one when it could have been Jonathan Taylor or uh, you know, <laughs> who else? I don't think so. Yeah. I think you brought up a good point on, on a tip there because I'm not going to be the most active person. I'll, I'll be fair. Like I think, to some degree, they they hurt as much as they help the group me chats and you know the like let's make every league a really vibrant discuss discussion environment. I think that there are definitely positives, but I also know this. There's plenty of people that they may join the group me chat and then the commissioner assumes that everyone's in there, that he puts out information instead of putting a message board post, instead of emailing everybody the three or four times a year it's necessary about something. And then people still don't get the message. So that's one of my gripes about, you know, thinking that everyone's on the same platform or whatever. But I will say what you just said, which is you got to keep your ear open. You know, you got to, when there's new messages, just scroll through, spend a few seconds to see if there's something like that where someone goes into fire sale mode, someone really declares, hey, 
I'm looking to move up in the draft to write like, so you need to take advantage of all the Intel that they give you and the league chat. Let's be fair. That's an environment where people can, it's almost like, you know, you start having a few drinks, you tell some secrets, right? I mean, so that can be the environment where you start telling your dynasty secrets of, Hey, come take advantage of me. I'm going to tell you what I want and I'm, I'm willing to overpay for it. I'm willing to do silly things that may not be prudent. And who knows tomorrow I may not make the same decision, but when you're, they're giving you information, it's almost like a battleground. They're telling you their action and uh, attack plan. And you can exploit that because they just told you, and now you can play defense slash offense against it yeah absolutely and one of your league mates will if you don't so that's the unfortunate like some people have this problem like it's taking advantage of somebody no they literally said i'm trying like you just said i need to get a a starting running back or i'm looking to you know sell so and so whatever it is again they're gonna do it whether it's to you or somebody else so yeah and it's so frustrating when you're not on the the good side of it like if you miss it by minutes or or they take a different offer and it's like, but I offered more. Well, I didn't think so. In my opinion, you didn't. <laughs> like, Big frustration. Um, yeah. What's another way uh, you see a big divide uh, uh, for dynasty owners and how they approach just player value in general? I guess just active versus inactive. Not all dynasty owners even want to make trades. And that can be okay at certain times of the year, but it, same thing with those that are active. Sometimes they trade just be, to get some action and they're trade junkies and that can hurt your team. So both can be detrimental, not trading at the right times and being a little bit too conservative versus being wild and throw everything in the pot and do it. I'm kind of in the middle there are times where I'll make multiple trades in a row and then it may be a little while before I make trades again, but I have a purpose in mind when I make a trade, when I make a trade offer and when I make a trade and it is my, my purpose isn't usually, Oh, this guy just grew his hair out an extra couple of inches and he's looking really good. um, (laughs) You know, with the wind in his hair and everything like that. No, it's gotta be for a purpose for the team and a time to improve it. And yes, I've made lots of trade mistakes over my years of playing Dynasty. And some of my bigger mistakes were made earlier in my Dynasty uh, career when I felt like I needed to fix something. And it just wasn't the right time to do it. Yeah, I think I think that's an underrated one. I actually in my short list uh, Rolodex here, I wasn't going to mention that one, but but yeah, that's a that's a really good one because I do see either a you see a general fearful nature. Uh, you know, either they've been you know a little shell shocked, maybe in their early going, they got you know they got screwed a few times. You know, with an offer they got sent their way, they accepted it. They thought you know oh you know every deal that gets proposed to me is fair. Maybe you didn't have a good grasp of player value. And then you see others that it seems like they get edgy. And frankly, I mean, I do, I do preach activity. Now, what I would call, ca- what I always caution folks when I mean, when I mention that, what I mean is when you have an objective and you, and you mentioned that in your, in your foray there that, you know, when you have something you're trying to achieve now, that is, there's extreme ex- scenarios like you're on a clock in a startup draft and you're looking to trade back. Well, you got eight hours or you got four hours or 12 hours, whatever it is. And yeah, you need to be active. This is your moment. Like you're on the podium, my friend. And then there's other times, and I say it, it's in season. When you have someone that's a hot potato, you have someone that you want to sell. They just went off. They just benefited from injury. They're hot right now. This might be the best you will ever get for them. And they just don't fit with what you want to do for their team. Either you don't need them, you don't trust them. Um, and you, you have basically Monday night slash Tuesday through kickoff. Whatever day that is, that's your window. And I'll tell you what, if you're a little skittish and you don't throw out enough offers, I guarantee you a lot of times you're going to get to the next kickoff. Again, it may work out. It may be fine, but you may roll snake eyes and they may be quasi worthless the very next week. So if you are not aggressive and saying, I have an objective, 
Now is the time. I have to have a price point. And to be fair, I mean, that's a lot of the stuff we talk about, whether we're talking about the players, uh, the changing player value, because you can't wait to see 50 trades and be justified in your, okay, I think I should trade this player for a second round pick. You're not going to see 20 data points by Friday uh, that you can see and go, oh, everyone's on the same page. This is a sell price. Now I feel comfortable sending some offers. No, you pretty much have to set a price point yourself or have a resource you trust that says, hey, this is what it is. Here's the reason why. And you got to go with it. You got to be aggressive. And sometimes it's not going to work out. But a lot of times, if they're a Fugazi, it's going to work out. But if you just sit there and expect people to come to you because you assume that player is hot and you assume everyone's going to be interested, a lot of times you're going to get stuck holding the bag. And that's just the way it's going to go. And that's why I always tell people, you it, maybe you join a free league. Maybe you join a league that's twenty bucks. If you normally play fifty bucks or a hundred bucks or whatever it is, join something that has a little lower investment for you, or just a lower mental investment, or take over an orphan and get comfortable trading. Get comfortable, comfortable sending offers. Try a startup draft where you say, "I'm not going to draft until the third, fourth, fifth round." I'm going to trade back a bunch because I'm going to get the reps. I'm going to get comfortable because, man, I I. This was the year where I said, I'm going to record a lot more shows about trading because I get more questions about trading, feeling comfortable. I don't know the price point. I don't know how to send three, four offers to the same team because that's a critical, critical skill that if you are skittish about it, it's almost like, I mean, I would imagine in like a dating world, it would be like, hey, I'm not really comfortable talking to people. Uh, that's going to be tough then. I mean, you can only go so far, you know, having a few texts or online relationship or, I mean, there's natural barriers and limitations. So I almost feel like dynasty trading, sending offers, counter offering, sending a comment back. That is basically like the, the, the most communication you will generally have with your league mates. Yeah. And it takes reps until you get comfortable with it. Another one that I see, a lot is the owner that's jaded. They got burned by a player. They've written them off. They either don't want to draft them in a startup or they don't want to trade for them, even when they're finally at good value. Like, for example, I know that Ronald Jones, when he first was a rookie, was not a good value. He was going way higher in rookie drafts than you and I both could stomach. But now he's a value especially with Leonard Fournette there, but they've got a very good team and you can get Ronald Jones as a throw into most trades and he's an arbitrage. He's not as sexy of a name as some of the other running backs, but yet you can get him plus another piece and, and just continue to turn your roster that way. But because they've written them off because they're holding a grudge, they don't consider that. And by it's just like writing off a league mate because they pissed you off in a former trade. And now you've got 10 other owners that you can trade with instead of 11. And then you get somebody else that you hold a grudge against for whatever reason, maybe a comment in chat or whatever the case may be. And now you've only got nine trade partners to consider. So limits on pretty much anything when you set limits I think it can be very harmful. Well, you're limiting yourself, right? And I get this all the time. Like I, I've been, uh, you know, in in trade discussions this week, you know, and it oscillates, like you just said. I mean, you might go two, three weeks in a row where, you know, in in across your leagues, there's not much happening for you. There may be trades going on or whatever, but you know, then it might be times where oh, four or five trades in a week. It just it all depends the ebb and flow there. But yeah, what you were saying is just I. I think some people get handcuffed into like, oh, I can't own this player. Well, yeah, you may not have liked them a year ago, but there's so many players that, well, now they're worth a third round pick. Maybe you should be interested. They were worth a first. I get not, I get being out, you know, or not liking their initial rookie cost. I mean, you know, Daryl, Daryl Henderson is a good example, right? I mean, he was going late first, early second. Uh, you go, uh, I'm out on that. Well, he dropped to like the late second, third round when Cam Akers was breaking out this whole offseason pretty much. And hey, He's a day two guy that you figure he's one of the better, you know, primary backups out there in terms of a profile. So you got, I mean, I think you got to reassess as you go. Ronald Jones, you mentioned, um, but but that but writing somebody off 
uh, is a big one. Uh, not being open to them as part of a trade. And, he, and the other thing I was going to say is that so many times I run into owners where they say, so-and-so is not available. What is this? Not available. Like I understand if you look at someone's roster and they really don't have much of anything. So you look at it and you're like, well, you know, you're trying to come after Christian McCaffrey and I'm just going to be realistic. This is like, I guess, you know, again, another dating reference. If you're a 10 and, you know, you, someone's a four and that like they don't have a good, like I'm just putting the pieces together where they might say you're out of my league. But I would say if you're trying to go after Christian McCaffrey and you don't have the pieces, then, yeah, I mean, you may be letting them down easily by saying you don't, I mean, this, it could be a translation for you don't have anything I deem warranted to explore a trade discussion for this player however no, i'm not going to trade christian mccaffrey for six pieces exactly <laughs> yeah but but i'll tell you and and as much as i like say jonathan taylor i traded him away today so to say that there's no, you cannot shut down trade conversations because he's your favorite player or so-and-so is untouchable. You, you have to at least be open to there are trades in my league that could deem I'm trading this player away. So I wouldn't mental roadblock those off just by the name of the player that you drafted and you really like. Yes, it's Dynasty. You can own whatever players you want. And if, if that's the way you want to play and you want to own your favorite players, I get it. But just know that there's avenues to improve your team that include trading that player away. And then to that opposite point of that, there are times where you get a decent trade offer, but you don't see that it will improve your team. It has intrinsic value is pretty fair, but it doesn't, it, you know, if you're trading one wide receiver for one wide receiver, for example, or one wide receiver and a running back for one wide receiver and a running back, how does that help your team Especially if you, I mean, even if it's fair value, but you like your guys better, I'd rather roll with the guys that I got than trade them away. Now, if it picks you up an extra piece or a position of weakness, that's different. But you can say no, just because somebody offers you a trade and it's, it's fair. Fair doesn't mean you have to take it, right? I mean, right. there's plenty of times you get an offer, you're like, that's fair, but it doesn't really move the needle for me. So I don't have any incentive because I have my roster and it's almost uh, inertia, right? I mean, I have this and you got to get the rock rolling up, up and down the hill for me to be incentivized. And so that's why you have to have difference in player value so that they think they're getting the better side. You think you're getting the better side. Everyone's happy. And no, three years from now, it's not going to look that way. But you both at the time of the trade thought it improved your team or you got the better end of it. That's how deals happen. And here's an example of, of that. I've had an owner ever since the startup draft. I think the startup draft was in February or March. But ever since the startup draft, and I got Brian Edwards in like round 14, some ridiculous, it, it, he could very well be the wide receiver one for the Raiders this year. I like his profile. I like his size. Yes, I got him at a discount, but that doesn't mean I'm going to trade him at a discount. And I've had an owner, the same owner, it seems like every couple of weeks, send me another offer trying to get Brian Edwards from me. And I'm patient enough to know that I think his value will rise significantly if he does show off in training camp and preseason and positions himself as the wide receiver one for the Raiders. Now, that doesn't mean that I won't ever trade him, but I don't want to sell myself short either for what I believe. Now, I may be all wet. I could be completely wrong, but I paid a decent enough price. I'm going to be patient. You want to see, to how see it, it happen? Yeah, nothing's really happened, right? I mean, he played a few games. He was injured for a good cross section of last year, made a couple plays. You have this offseason. They brought in John Brown, but it's not like they splashed it with two giant signings. Henry Ruggs is a question mark. Yeah, I mean, so you, so what you signed up for, you say nothing's really changed. You know, we don't have a lot of negative feedback here of saying, oh, my assessment is completely wrong. So why would I go, you know, parallel sideways for an exit where, you know, I liked him enough to draft him? Right, exactly. I mean, to move again, to move you off of the position. If someone wants to pay an amount that's closer 
to what you view as what would happen. You know, let's say he in the first month of the season, he looks like the wide receiver one. You have to say, okay, so what is that worth? You calculate in your head, okay, for me, for the market, all those things, what is that worth? And if someone wants to move closer to what that is and pay that now, that's how you actually get someone off of their position because they are showing that they have more allegiance, more confidence, and they're willing to pay a little bit more than where you stand today in order to get the player early in advance. And the risk factor is just like you said, well, what if that doesn't work out? Yeah, that's on both of you in terms of your assessments for any point in time and who owns it. Yeah. Another one that I see, there's there's some owners that will tinker on the waiver wire, like every single waiver wire in the off season, they drop the person they got the week before and now they pick up player B and then they drop that player next week and they pick up player C and they're constantly spending, even if it's just a buck or two, seven bucks here, two bucks there, it eats up your waiver wire money and you're not patient enough to let that, if, if you've got no intention of keeping them beyond a couple of weeks or even on into the season, then why did you've got to ask yourself, why do I need to pick this guy up right now? Put him on your watch list and just see what happens. And but also you're assuming someone else is going to pick him up and they're going to hold all the way until the magical moment when they're worth a fortune or starting or whatever in October. The likelihood is low. I totally agree with that. Now, I first thought you were talking about me because I am the perpetual waiver tinkerer, but it's in season. It's, it's once we get data points, I do it perpetually. I am trying to, if I can go from 5% odds to 8% odds with this running back situation or whatever, starting in a week or two, I'm going to be the king of $1 bids. And that's I, different. That no, is no, different. But, but it's like $100. Like I... I, I don't think in a hundred dollar budget with a hundred with one dollar as the minimum, I will I can't imagine going above five dollars for any anybody just because I know I want as many reps as and I've started to learn don't spend on a kicker. Don't even spend the one dollar because if you can get them for free and kickers are a crapshoot, unless there's a yeah. really great defensive play and you're like, ooh, I might use them for a couple weeks, refrain from that as well. Like so, because I want those $1 chances that I'm going to keep churning out, but I don't get like, I love it when I see waivers open and we always like, whether it's, you know, you, Jordan, Tim and I, or whatever, like we, we always pass around, like someone just spent $26, you know, on like a hundred dollar budget and it's May and it's on some rookie that didn't get drafted in the four round draft. It's like, wow. Isn't that the NFL equivalent of like someone paying $3 million contract for someone for a UDFA that didn't get drafted? Like it, it's way too early for that. What are you doing? Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, usually you run out of waiver bucks and then you really kick yourself when there is somebody that pops up that should be bid on competitively and then you just, you can't. Yeah. Um, I would also say there's some people that are market slaves that, that I think there's a divide between. And, and one, of, one of the quotes that I, I've said on the football guy show a couple of times is, are you building your team for yourself or for everybody else? And these are the people that either it's a startup draft or a rookie draft, you sit there and you can predict who they're going to pick because it's just like, who does the ADP say they should take next? And they're building a team for somebody else. I think you've actually said before, by definition, you're going to build an average team. You draft by ADP, you're going to have an average team. You're putting none of yourself into the picks. What do you want to do? You know, What is your team of resources? All of your knowledge, all the time and attention you put into learning about players, learning about positional value, playing the format, all these things. And then you just sit with an ADP list and you pretty much just draft within, okay, it's this guy or this guy or this guy. And then you kind of go, well, what position do I need or whatever? And that's the extent of your decision-making. Or you do that in a, in a rookie draft setting. And I'll say, I think there's a cross... I'm not saying you should ignore what the market is because there's some liquidity asset, you know, facets to that. But too many people are worried. Like, I think those are the people right now that you get to round six of your startup draft this offseason and you go, Mike Evans, uh, he's not for me. Those are the people because they've seen Mike Evans drop and they think to themselves, 
well, what's he going to be next year? Round eight. What's he going to be the year after that? Round 11. And I'm going to be like, what's he going to be then? Two top 24 seasons more into his career. Like, why are you fearful with, again, some players, you can think that way with some roster spots. I'm fine. But I think a, a different section of your roster should be like, hey, I'm starting to line up here. I want productive guys. I want, I want profiles that are going to be good for me. I don't care if half the league isn't going to be interested in Robert Woods this year. I don't really care. I like him. I like his price point. I got him in a trade for a, a price I like. I'm starting him. So like, you don't have to worry about 25 guys on a 25-man roster of what the league thinks about them. It's okay. And I think too many people want too much liquidity when it's, it's sexy roster syndrome. They want everything that's going to be, I want every player to be worth a first at all times. Good luck with that. Apparently, you have the best dynasty roster in the history of the earth. But it probably means you're going to have a lot of day two and day three upside potential wide receivers as well. And that's going to be a trap. It's, you're going to have a ton of those guys that don't work out and never emerge more than wide receiver 30 or 40 ever. In their in their wildest career year dreams. Good luck. Good luck doing that. Yeah, I, I agree. And then there's also uh, one of the phrases that I recently came up with is "Don't sweat the bums." You got bums on your roster. Everybody's got bums on their roster. But you know, if if the question is, should I trade Van Jefferson for Naheem Hines? What do you think? Is that something that you want to do? There, neither one is going to be that impactful. So which bum do you have a little more feeling for? Yeah. And go with your gut instinct when it comes to something like that. But you don't have to put in a whole lot of time and research and, you know, just don't sweat the bums. <laughs> That's a good one. And some people sweat the bums. Is that what you're saying? Yes. Yes. Yeah. I got you. And see, that's why I like running backs because you know what? If they get hurt, all of a sudden they're number three on the depth chart. All of a sudden they're buried or they get cut. Boom. Move on to a different guy. Churn and burn, baby. So, yeah. so yeah, I think, uh, and I do think the wide receivers, you mentioned Van Jefferson, you know, I think he's a good one, but you get a lot of these ancillary NFL guys and yeah, they need the perfect storm. You know, they, they, they need to be a number two guy, you know, on a, on a pretty good offense, or they need to be a number three on an absolute electric reading record setting offense. Otherwise, like you said, they're a bum. What are we waiting for? You're waiting for a team to go, yep, Van Jefferson, you're our alpha. That's never going to happen. <laughs> so you're basically looking for an opportunity, that, that, that big game. And then if he's in your lineup because you needed a flex or whatever, so be it. If you had some injuries, you hope that's when the big game is, or you hope you can trade him or something, does something you like a little bit more. Bum plus. You, you, you want to trade him for bum plus or pick that could become something that's not a bum. That would be good. Yeah. And I had something else I was going to say, but I completely forgot it. I'm sorry. I like that we made it through this whole show and I didn't, I didn't once drudge up the whole age thing, which again, it is a factor, but I think it, it bleeds into all this stuff because you know what? Younger players generally are more insulated. The market values them higher. Uh, so that bleeds into that divide between players. It also bleeds into potentially, you know, rookie picks versus are you open to getting bridge players? Are you open to having part of your roster that's on the older side? You know, can part of your lineup be older, part be younger? And then you have some stash players, uh, you know, sort of a balanced approach there. So again, that's a whole other show, but just a, that's just another factor there. Um, let's get into some, some rapid fire here at the end of the show. And this is always kind of get to know you stuff. It's been a while, frankly, since we've got to know. Now we've gotten to know Katie over the years quite a bit. You've been on a number of shows for a few years. So, um, but it's always good to get some new data points here and things might have changed. I wanted to ask you that watching football, this could be college, Heck, it could be someone high school by your house, but uh, it could be NFL, CFL, USFL, who knows? Favorite football player when you were growing up? Just watching, just enjoying the game of football, not fantasy, not anything like that. I loved watching Troy Aikman uh, when he was at UCLA, and then I was hoping, hoping, hoping he would end up with the Cowboys, and he did. And I really, really enjoyed watching him play for the Cowboys. Now I wasn't a little kid. I was an adult by that point, but 
Where were, were yeah. you East Coast then, or you weren't Texas? Yeah, I was East Coast. Yeah, I was okay. East Coast. And you yeah. and you got UCLA. Like you were aware of UCLA and and Troy Aikman I, in I watched college. A lot of college football, even though I didn't play any fantasy football. But in the eighties, I, I would think it would be a little harder to to see. I watched Peyton Manning at Tennessee. I really liked Peyton Manning at Tennessee. Uh, I didn't have any one because in Vermont you don't have a college team. So now Boston College. Boston College, but no, they they really weren't anything to watch. Uh, so I like to just watch what was on my television. So if you like Troy Aikman, that must have been great to see him go 101. He went to the Cowboys. He ended up winning Super Bowls and being yep. a big fixture of them turning things around as part of what it was the Herschel... He, they didn't get one that they didn't get that pick from the Herschel trade, but no, that wasn't. It they was got the that next on their year. own, and then yeah. they had Emmett Smith as another high pick. Yeah, that was really the start of things in the late eighties there for them. Yeah. Um. Okay. So without naming names, so you can maybe say the scenario or just yes or no. Do you have enemies in the fantasy football world? Oh, I'm sure that I do. Well, any I, that I you know of, like any that are your enemies. I guess we'll we'll phrase it that way. Mm. Do you have people, if they asked you to come on the show, you'd say no? I can't think of anybody. Okay. No. Do you have any league mates that you would view as not on the greatest terms? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You, yeah. Have, you, have, you have had not terrific league situations from time to time. I know because we've talked about those. But that was more what that was more frustration about the commissioner, the setup, the league. Right. And but a commissioner is a league mate. So that's that that's the one I'm thinking about. The commissioner might be the answer here of of all the fantasy entities in your in your bubble, in your world over the of over the years. Yeah, there's nothing more frustrating than a commissioner that either waffles on the rules rules, or changes rules, right? Makes them up on the fly. Once the Uh, once the draft is going on and the league is three months old, right? Didn't think yeah. things through exactly. Okay. Um, all right, here we go. So I'm gonna get some I'm gonna get some coaching from Katie right here. <laughs> so being brutally honest, because I love feedback, what is my wor- my worst trait as a dynasty analyst, podcast host, or writer? As a podcast host, you interrupt me a lot. Okay. There are times when I can't get a word in edgewise or when I'm on a roll and then you interrupt me and then I forget what I'm gonna do. I got and you. yeah. I, I now being self-aware, I think I did that once on this show. Did that happen? I don't think so. Not so much. I know okay. I interrupted you one time this show. I, and no, sometimes, I, sometimes I feel that makes me worse because I feel like I have to interrupt you to get my thought in sometimes. You. Yeah, no, that's a, that, that's a really good one because I always feel like also it might put you on edge where you're like, Oh, if, if I think someone's going to interrupt me, then I feel like you've got to press to finish what you're going to say or make sure you develop your point before the interruption happens. That's a good one. I, I feel I'm better than a few years ago, but I still, you are, you but, are, but, but you, still, still, I, I have a ways to go. It's a natural tendency, which is not the greatest. Um, all right. That's very good. Uh, what is a format of dynasty leagues? More people should try and why Debbie. Okay. And the why is because if, especially if you like to watch college football, it, makes you invest not only in the dynasty, but just in the game of football. And I think it brings a lot more enjoyment. You start to learn a lot more players. You're more ready for your future rookie drafts in other leagues that are not Devi. And even if you dip your toe in just a little bit and it's only one player per season, it's still very helpful because then you're just more aware of the college game. And to me, it's a lot more fun. Yeah. I, I think a lot of people don't realize, you know, they think it's diabolically deep, but like you said, it could be one player per team and some teams trade their rights, you know, but you can, tr- you can have one, you know, maybe if you trade for somebody, you got two college players of the entire landscape on your team. It's really not a high impact, but you can get your feet weight. That's how I started. I don't know. Do you remember your first Debbie league? What was the, what was the Debbie settings of the first one? If you can recall. The first one that I did was start one quarterback and only one Debbie player per person, but you could trade your rights. Yeah, that's what I was. I'm sorry. Yeah, that's what I was. Same thing. One per team per year. One per team. And then once I decided that I liked it, which was pretty much immediate, then, and the funny thing is the mindset of the very first Debbie league that I was in was 
we're picking 12 players. That means that next year's rookie draft is going to start at the 201. Thinking how hard, how easy it is. Like we're picking 12 players now a year out or whatever, because most of the time you can find 12 in that next class. Some of them were two years out, but nobody ever drafts a freshman in a only one per team Debbie league. So I was just under the assumption on my first Debbie league that everybody that got drafted would immediately be a rookie (laughs) first round pick the next year and that we'd be depleted and that the picks would lose value, but Oh, how wrong. (laughs) I mean, I remember somebody in a start one quarterback league drafted Marcus Mariota at like the one Oh eight. And I'm like, I don't understand why you would do that in a start one quarterback league when there's so many other options. Yeah, Debbie's fun because of there's a wider range of opinions. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, last one here. And so we'll end on a, a big positive. Give a shout out to uh, a great commissioner in one of your leagues. Who does it? the right way? Who do you think sets up a league correctly, communicates well enough in the moments that are needed for them? Uh, they don't have to be, you know, overstepping their bounds and, you know, uh, you know, sticking their fingers and everything, but you feel they run a good league. It could just, you could, you could shout out, you know, what the league is, you know, offhand, but, or some traits that make for a good commissioner. Any of those things are, are eligible here. All right. Well, not trying to blow smoke up, up your butt, but my favorite leagues are leagues where you're the commissioner. And I think part of that is just because I know they're going to be around forever. I know that you're not going to bail on the league. I know you're not going to do something stupid and change a rule. I, I trust you completely. And I think you're a great commissioner. Uh, I, I know that Ross Mooring was a great commissioner and he had to step back because he moved. Uh, So I don't know that he's commissioner of any of my leagues right now, but I really like Ross Mooring. Very fair, kept the league engaged, but the good traits, the good traits are be consistent. Don't be evasive when there's a question. I have some commissioners out there that, will be very evasive with their answers. And that's just, it's like, come on. It's it's not going to go. The thing is when someone brings something up in a chat or an email chain, it's not going to go away. Like, so like, Oh, Hey, shouldn't we have had waivers starting by now? Or, Oh, they were running in June last year or whatever, you know, just, all, you, all it takes, you know, in that moment is you go, you take a look, you know, what is the, what do the league's rules say? What was going on last year? And then you can just say, oh, my bad, you know, should have started a couple weeks ago. We'll run it next Thursday or whatever it is, you know? And I, I what I find interesting, cause like, I don't like, like you, I mean, the security of like being your own commissioner or whatever is nice, but also, I mean, it does add to, you know, it just takes a, a little bit of time, a few times out of the year. I will say this, the difference, the biggest difference I see between good and not good or good and makes you a little nervous is when all you got to do is be a little proactive with the conversation where when the season ends, you know, send out a a, a closing email of like, here's where we stand. We're going to open trading up or, you know, make sure you clear your IR by this date or whatever, and just let them know, Hey, and what I like to do is man, pay your league fees by a requisite date. Set it, let them know well in advance. These leagues where you have it bleeding out there into the summer or it gets to the NFL draft and it's still, you just don't know who's in the league. Until they pay, you don't know who's in the league, to be fair. But like the way I like to do it is April 1st. That gives me from then until the NFL draft to fill spots if needed, run a dispersal draft, have everyone paid and good to go by the NFL draft. And then we, we're ready for rookie draft season. We're good. And these team, these owners that and commissioners, everything just floats. And for three, four months, you don't hear a peep from anybody. That's concerning. The league safe page might be not be set up. You don't know who's in the league. And the NFL free agency has occurred. The combine has occurred. Uh, it's getting into April. And you don't know what's happening. 
I think that's one of the biggest parts of saying you got to do spend five, 10 minutes between January 1st and like March 1st of saying, let me set up the league safe or however you collect fees and say, hey, here's the deadline. And that's going to be when you're in or out. If you know you're out, just let me know in advance. That's awesome. That's helpful. No ill feelings. We know early. That's awesome. So I think that's a big, I think a lot of it, a lot of the commissioning is literally just setting up the waiver wire, making sure everybody knows starting the, the rookie draft and making sure the league is good to go. And it doesn't take too much between January and April, just to be fair. So I'll be off my soapbox, but I just, I see people ignore the basics like that. And that's what gets everybody off the rails. And that's how leagues end to be fair. It's because the commissioner, I mean, if you got three or four openings, that's workable when you find out in March or April, it's okay. But when you find that out and it's July, people are like, "Eh, I don't know. Like we usually have our draft two months ago. Like, and some people just check out. And other people might not be interested by that point. Who knows? And like you said, I don't think it's hard to do things the right way. Absolutely. Not hard. Uh, final thoughts, Katie. We, we talked a lot about macro stuff. If there's any micro stuff, uh, we're actually going to have the Hall of Fame game this week. We're going to have a lot more games next week. And here we go, hitting the accelerator button. But uh, dare I say, we, we've already got some news, some injuries over the past two, three, four weeks of changing landscape. Uh, dare I say, off season is kind of off the clock here. Yeah, I'm very excited. Um, It's going to be weird because there won't be any Dak Prescott. There won't be any Ben Roethlisberger. It's going to be Mason Rudolph against Ben DiNucci or whoever is Dak's backup. And But we'll get to see football, and I'm going to get to see some rookies. I'm going to get to enjoy the beginning of what should be another great season. Yep. Excellent stuff. And as always, all these topics, if you want to continue the conversation with Katie between episodes, it's at FF underscore Skyler 399 over there on Twitter. I am at Chad Parsons NFL reminder about UTHDynasty.com. Got a a beautiful uh, process to get all the premium shows on pace for about 260, 270 of them this year. This goes beyond the weekly show. Um, Doing a series right now. What if you're weak at any of the skill positions? So there's a specified show for quarterback, running back, wide receiver, and tight end over the past week where it's going to dive into what should be your game plan, whether it's now, whether it's in season of I'm weak at this position. What should I do? Uh, Giving you some tangible dynasty toolbox uh, skills. That's what I always, we're trying to build skills so that you are more confident and more enabled to manage your dynasty team. So I just wanted to highlight that as recent UTH dynasty content. And as always, no ads on this show, straight through conversation with Katie and uh, patreon.com slash UTH is where you can get bonus content. And again, support the show without advertising for five minutes at a time. So for Katie, myself, Chad Parsons, until next time, never settle, refuse to be average, and keep building those dynasties. 